do a lot in front as well. Thank you so much for that. I want to say it's good to see uh, Brother Pete. Brother Pete brought his grandpa again. Amen. And thank you, sir, for being in our service today. And uh, we appreciate that. Last month, I try. I, I try to read. I try to read every month. Amen. But I, I really do. How many of you are like me? You're slow readers. I'm a slow reader. And uh, with all the books I have in my office, uh, you'd think I should never buy another one. And then, ooh, I see another book that I like, and I buy it. Amen. And, uh, but last, last month, I read a book, um, and uh, it's by a fella uh, named uh, Leatherborough, Andrew Leatherborough, and it, it was, it's titled Chernobyl 12340, which was the time, uh, the, the incredible true story of the world's worst nuclear disaster. And I think many of us who lived through the Cold War, 1945 to 1989, between the United States and the Soviet Union, uh, we're aware of several key moments, or uh, I guess you could call them flashpoints between the, the toughest two kids on the block, so to speak, the two world superpowers. Uh, again, before my time, but some of you are old enough to remember the Berlin blockade, 1948 and 49, when the uh, Russians blockaded Berlin. And then there was, of course, the Korean War, and the Korean War between North Korea and South Korea, but also the United States was involved and the Soviet Union was involved. Um, some of you are old enough to remember the Berlin crisis and probably the most famous photograph from the Berlin crisis was uh, on in, at the Checkpoint Charlie, there was in East Berlin, there was a, a Russian uh, T-54 tank, and on the American side, there was a T-48 tank, and they were literally facing each other, just feet away from each other. And again, some of us weren't quite around then, but some of you remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, when... There were Russian surface-to-air nuclear warheads 90 miles off the United States coast. And you remember the U.S. Navy set up a blockade, and those Russian ships were heading for it. And thankfully, cooler heads prevailed, and they turned around, and the missiles were taken out. And, of course, obviously, the Vietnam War involved both parties, the United States and the Russians, and then there was the K-129 incident, a fascinating incident in sub-warfare. But I think, going back to the book that I had read, the event that really lives on, lives in infamy, and by the way, it is the event that Mikhail Gorbachev, the premier of the Soviet Union, said it was this event that brought down, that, or that initiated the collapse of the Soviet Union, and that was on April 26, 1986, when Reactor 4 at the Chernobyl power plant exploded, literally exploded. And that we know, again, uh, reading, and it was a fascinating book that this fellow wrote. He was not a historian. He was just somebody that was interested in it and, and ended up writing a book about it. He know uh, there was a design flaw, which was uh, a cost savings measure, 
Basically, it was the, these boron control rods that would go in to, the, uh, to, to stop the nuclear reaction, but they had graphite tips, and the graphite accelerated the reaction. And the reason they had graphite tips was because it was cheaper, literally cheaper. And you think about that, literally, this explosion. And then there was, there was a cover-up in regards to it, and all of that uh, went on. Uh, uh, they, they, they had to bring men, men, the Russian people. And by the way, the Russian people, a lot of the Russian people didn't share the politics of Russia. They were just people. Like we have Americans, amen. By, by the way, a lot of us Americans don't share the politics of our president as well. Yeah. And these Russian people, they had, they had to go up on the roof of this exploded nuclear power plant and take graphite that is only found in the nuclear core and is highly radioactive and literally go up. They can only go up for two minutes at a time. And they had to take a shovel, Miss Margie, and get a shovel and throw it off the side so they could cover it up. Today it has a, a huge sarcophagus over this big covering that's over it, if you've ever seen pictures of it. But literally, they could only stay up there for two minutes. And the city of Pripyat, which is two miles away, three days after the explosion, 1,200 buses transported 49,000 people out of the city, telling them it would be temporary. Today, the Chernobyl, they call it the exclusion zone. It's basically the contaminated area is a thousand square miles. That's roughly the size of the state of Rhode Island. And it is completely uninhabitable, get this ladies and gentlemen, for 24,000 years. Uninhabitable. 24,000 years. Several years ago, now in January, we were out here in town, downtown, knocking doors, trying to share the gospel with people. And I remember I had, I had driven the bus that day. And, and so uh, when you're the bus driver, Mr. Anderson, you know this. A lot of times on, if you do soul winning with a bus, you, you're the person that drops off and picks up. And you really don't get to go to a lot of houses. That's just kind of the way it is. So I, I dropped everybody off and... There was a street, I think three houses on it. And I went to that house, and you know, first house, nobody home. And second house, nobody home. And that happens, by the way, when you're out visiting sometimes, you just don't find. The last house I came to, I'll never forget. I took a picture of it. It was, it was in rough shape. Brother Bill, you could tell nobody lived there. And I looked up, and there was a sign on the door. And it said this, unfit for human habitation, do not enter. And I get to thinking about that, ladies and gentlemen. I, I think about that exclusion zone there in Chernobyl, and I think about the city of Pripyat, which is basically a ghost town today. Miss Heidi made us a nice graphic with it. it, it, it it's, it's, you can't go there. You can only go there to visit, but you, nobody can live there. And I got to thinking about hell. And can I tell you this, ladies and gentlemen? I hate preaching on hell. 
I hate it. I hate the fact that, Brother Mike, I have to force myself to schedule it into my preaching. But I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I would hate it a lot more if I had a preacher who wouldn't preach on hell. Hell, if you look at it with me there uh, in Matthew chapter 25, we learn some things about hell here. Matthew chapter 25, uh, this is the, what is called the judgment of the living nations. It will take place after the tribulation period, that seven-year period that comes after the rapture of the church. And it will be basically based on how those on earth treated the people of God. Sometimes we take these passages out of context and, and, and we say, well, listen, we need, to, we need to visit the sick and we need to clothe the naked. And again, there's nothing wrong with doing any of those things. But in its context, that's talking about during the tribulation time when, when God's people are being persecuted, when Satan is literally loosed on earth and hunting the people of God and how they are treated is the basis of that judgment. And we learn in verse 41 that those on the left hand, those who, those who didn't do anything, those who were wicked, he says, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So we learn here by simple Bible study why hell was created. Why was hell created? It was created because long ago, we learn about it in Isaiah chapter 14, that Satan rebelled. He was the angel of light at that time, Lucifer. And he rebelled against God. He said, I'm going to be God. And by the way, nothing created will ever be God. And the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 28 that he was a created being, an angel of some authority, but he, he, he was so infatuated with, with his uh, persona and presence, he said, I'm going to be God. And God said, no, you're not. But then Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, tells us that one-third of heaven's angels rebelled with him. And that's where you, when you see the term the devil and his angels, no, it is the fallen angels. I believe, uh, Brother Jeff, I believe there are devils, amen, that we know of today as devils. They rebelled with him, and God created hell because of their rebellion. So, we learn why hell was created. We learn whom it was created for. I think, honest Bible study, you can... Look at where hell is. I believe that the Bible teaches it's in the center of the earth. That's Again, if somebody doesn't believe that, I wouldn't fuss with you. But I believe Jesus uh, said that uh, as Jonah was in uh, the, the belly of the whale, so the, so the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. He would go into that place that we're going to look at here. Where's hell? I want to bring to you a subject today again, ladies and gentlemen, that is a difficult subject to preach. Just like that house I looked at all those years ago, soul winning, people shouldn't live there. Just like the city of Pripyat and the exclusion zone there that is completely contaminated with radioactive material, 
People shouldn't live there. And I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, let me tell you something. You are heading for hell, but you shouldn't live there. Here's the good news. You don't have to live there. I want to preach a message today called Unfit for Human Habitation. Go back, if you would, with me to Luke chapter 16. Why is hell unfit for human habitation? Why? Well, first of all, I I mentioned to go to Luke chapter 16, but if you would go to Revelation chapter 21, please. Revelation chapter 21 is our first text. Why is hell unfit for human habitation? Number one, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Look what it says there. It says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Number one, you know why hell is unfit for human habitation? Ungodly companionship. Ungodly companionship. Remember why hell was created. It was created... For the devil and his angels. And we know what happened in that. That Satan tempted Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve sinned. And everyone after has been born a sinner. And death passed upon all men. But listen to me ladies and gentlemen. The the people that we think about on the news. The worst of the worst that are lost. They are there. And again, I, I, know, I know the old argument. Well, what if this person got saved? And they got saved. But a whole bunch of wicked, evil, rotten, filthy people went to hell unsaved. As far as we know, Joseph Stalin, murderer of millions, is there in hell. Hitler is there. Himmler is there. Awful, murderous people are there. And and by the way, I don't want to give them any glory by naming them. But that that man that, that jokes and says, oh, I'm going to have a beer in hell with my buddies, I'm going to tell you something. First of all, you're not going to be able to quench your thirst. And second of all, none of your buddies are going to be there. And if they are, they'll be trying to tear the flesh right off you. Ungodly companionship. The worst of the worst will be there. What a day it's going to be, Brother Sammons, when Satan gets thrown in there. What a, what a day that's going to be. Because you know what? That's where he belongs. But you know what? I know we're all sinners, and if, if we don't trust Christ, that's where we go. But I'm going to tell you something. Hell is unfit for human habitation. It's, you're, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. Number two, back to Luke chapter 23, please. Luke chapter 23. I'm sorry, Luke 16. I'm sorry, it's verse number 23. Luke 16, verse 23 and 24. It's unfit for human habitation. Why? Ungodly companionship. 
Look at Luke chapter 16, verse 23 and 24. It says, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in what, church? Torments. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am what? Tormented in this flame. Number one, hell is unfit for human habitation because of ungodly companionship. But hell is unfit for human habitation because of unendurable pain. Do not let anyone try to tell you otherwise. The Bible says in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 11, those lost during the tribulation, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever. Forever. It says here that he is in torments. Listen, there is torment, there is pain, there is perpetual restlessness. You know, one of the torture techniques of the communists trying to break people was they simply would not allow them to sleep, Brother Stark. Every time they would start to sleep, they would play loud noise or put them in an area where they couldn't lay down. You listen to me, restlessness is part of hell. They have no rest day or night, the Bible says. But it's not just restlessness. There is torment there. The, the, the Bible, in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 44, 46, and 48, uses the exact same verse out of Isaiah, and it says this, where the fire is not quenched, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Brother Jeff, it says, where their worm dieth not. Say, so what do you think that means, Pastor? give you my opinion. I think there are all kinds of things in hell that cause pain and torment. That there are, you say, Pastor, you believe there's literal writhing, wiggling snakes, worms? I do. I do. I believe they're there. Listen to me. Hell is unfit for human habitation because of ungodly companionship, but also because of unendurable pain. And the amazing thing about that word unendurable will be the person who goes to hell, the person who dies in their sins, the person who doesn't have Jesus Christ as their Savior, even though it's unendurable, Brother Hearth, they will endure it! It's unfit for human habitation. Why? Ungodly companionship. Unendurable pain. Number three. Quoted that verse in Mark chapter 9, 44, 46, 48. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Ungodly companionship, unendurable pain, unquenchable fire. Unquenchable. I remember when my wife and I went to Hawaii and uh, we were, you know, you, you, go, you go to this little place and you think about it, Miss Mary, it's a volcano. The whole thing is a volcano. That's how they, they sprung up, those little islands. Beautiful. 
Some of you are like, you want to go inside and see the volcano and the lava? Brother Dan, I said, no. I don't want to get anywhere near lava. Oh, it's perfectly safe. You know what? I'd rather not take the chance. Listen to me. Hell is nothing but lava. Have, have you, you know, they show in movies, you know, here, here's lava and this person jumps on this rock and they're perfectly safe, Miss Judy. And there's, there's no place to jump except in. There's no place to hide. Unquenchable fire. Beware of any preacher who tries to air condition hell. Absolutely beware. Your radar should go up as soon as you hear somebody saying, well, it's, you know, it says unquenchable fire, but it really means, it really means unquenchable fire. Is what it really means. It is the payment for sin. That's, by the way, we think about it, say, well, that's harsh, and, and, and how, how dare God do that? Listen to me, that's how awful sin is. It's just not that awful to us. That's how awful it is. One day we'll realize how exceedingly sinful sin was. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Unquenchable fire. Years ago, I was out soul winning. And uh, uh, Brother Mike, uh, you, you, you know, you come up to a... You know, we're all tough when we're 15 or 16. You know, when, when, when the, the goody two-shoes religious guys come over, you know. And, and I remember walking up to a kid. I was pretty newly saved, so forgive me. I wasn't that goody in my two-shoes, Amen. And I remember this, this kid, oh, I, I said, he said, I'm not afraid of hell. I want to go to hell. I remember saying, no, you don't. Oh, no, I'm not afraid of hell. And I saw he had, how many of you remember the days when guys would roll their cigarettes up in there? And he, Brother Cody had cigarettes. I said, can I see your lighter? He said, yeah, sure. I lit it. And I said, put your hand on that. He said, I'm not doing that. I said, you're not nearly as looking forward to going hell as you'd like to have everybody believe. Because it's nothing but this. All over your entire body. You ever, you ever burn your hand? Listen, you moms, my, my wife's got more scars from cooking than some military guys have from warfare. Amen? You just you know, burn this on this, this burner, that burner. What's the first thing that happens when you burn yourself? <laughs> I remember I picked up a pot or something and it was hot and boy, I dropped that thing immediately, Miss Marilyn, went right over to the faucet and put cold water on it. It was just my thumb. Just my thumb. Not your thumb, your whole hand. Not your whole hand, your whole arm. Not your whole arm, your whole top. Not your whole top, your legs. Every bit of you on fire. Ask somebody, from the war, the last Medal of Honor winner from World War II passed away last year. His name was Woody Williams. He received his Medal of Honor at Iwo Jima in 1945. You know what he was, Miss Donna? He was a flamethrower operator. What a horrible weapon of warfare. Necessary in that war. But what he said, what a horrible weapon to literally pour that out and watch a human being 
burn to death. But you know what? In hell, you don't burn to death. You just burn. Why anybody would take the chance on going to hell, I have absolutely no idea except pride, which is the, the original sin and the ultimate sin. Pride. Well, I just, yesterday, Luke and I were out at doors and we, we, we didn't have much success. And that's just the way it goes. And by the way, please understand what I mean. I don't care about Saturdays for success. Pastor Alex, I care that we're sowing the seed of the Word of God. If it was up to success, I would have quit a long time ago. And we knocked on a door, and a very nice man came to the door. I said, we're just out in the area. We're inviting folks to our church, telling folks about the Lord, and we'd like to give you. And he very nicely took it. He said, well, he said, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming, but I'm a Satanist. Satanist. And I remember my heart broke. Just, I thought to myself, you don't have any idea. You don't have any idea. First of all, to, to say that is to acknowledge, okay, if this is, if you're a Satanist, the Satan of the Bible loses. You're already on the losing team. But I remember, and Lord willing, I want to go back, just, just look at the address. I want to send him a, a handwritten note that said, if, if you ever want to have coffee, if I could ever sit down and reason with you. It may not work. But by the way, it's not up to him to be brokenhearted. It's up to me to be brokenhearted. Because I know what's coming. And it's unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire. Think about that. You, by the way, there is an example of that in the Bible in the book of Exodus chapter 3. There was a bush that was burned that was not consumed. And it just burned. And if you go to hell, listen to me, you will go to hell and you will be on fire for all eternity. You say, I don't like that. I don't like it either. I like it so much that I decided to avoid it a long time ago. Because there was a way of escape. And there still is. Ungodly companionship, unendurable pain, unquenchable fire. How about this one? Look at verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, what's the next word, church? Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. What do you see there, Pastor? I see ungodly companionship. I see unendurable pain. I see unquenchable fire. I see an unbearable memory. You think about that. I've often said that one of the greatest days, perhaps the greatest day, for those of us that are saved, will be when God wipes away every filthy memory, every sinful thing that we've ever had happen in our life. Because how could heaven be heaven with sinful memories? Right? That day, I believe that day is in uh, after that final judgment in Revelation chapter 20, and it's the day when he says he'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. No more death, sorrow. The former things are passed away. But in hell, 
you'll always remember. You're actually able to look and peer into heaven and see them. Think about that. Think about how much more awful that makes hell. Again, we were out knocking doors, Katia and I, a couple of weeks back. We were out in an area not far from our old home on West Washington there, and we knocked on the door, and a man came to the door, and I remembered because his name was the same name as the street we were on. And he came to the door, and I said my same speech that I, I give, and I said, we're here from Loomis Park Baptist Church, and he said, he said forcefully, well, I'm an atheist. And I remember, Miss Vivian, I, I, recognized, I remembered him. And I called him by name, and I said, I came to your house probably about seven years ago. We were in this neighborhood before. And I said, I remember talking to you. And he began to go down the political rabbit hole of leftism and Marxism and all the things that go along with atheism. And I just do that a little, but that's not why I'm there. But I remember leaving and, you know, tried, you tried to leave the door open and try to leave on good terms. And, but I remember thinking to myself, Miss Mary, he's going to remember one day that an independent Baptist preacher came to his door twice. You know, I've only received two gospel tracts in my entire life. Two different times. One was, was driving a group of teenagers to a youth rally. And I parked the bus, and then I walked up, and this boy came up to me on the street. He said, can I give you something, sir? And I said, no, I don't want that junk. No, I'm just kidding, amen. <laughs> I said, I'm going to your youth rally right now, but thank you, buddy. Amen. And the other time was the man who gave the tracks to me that led to my salvation. But imagine if I had refused and I had the same man come to my door twice. Unbearable memory. Unbearable memory. Think about people. I think about people that have sat in pews like this and during the invitation, they have, they've white-knuckled. They just won't give in. They'll remember that. They'll remember that. They'll remember every opportunity that came. My goodness, that makes hell even more awful. Unbear it's, not, it's unfit for human habitation. It's unbearable memory. Unquenchable fire unendurable pain, ungodly companionship. How about this one? Verse 26. It says, and beside all this, in, in lieu of all these torments, in the fact that the saved are in heaven, which is called Abraham's bosom here, and the lost are in hell, beside all this, verse 26, between us and you, between heaven and hell, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, 
Neither can they pass to us that would come from hence. One of those first gospel tracts I was given was called A Message from People Who Care. And you opened it up and it was, a, I think, a fourfold track. And Brother Jeff, on one side they had man and, and uh, on the other side was God and there was a cliff, a, a great gulf in between and it was sin. And I like that illustration. It's a good illustration. I think most of us understand it. But listen, once you take your last breath, you are going to where you are going forever. You are either going, we'll say this side is heaven, or that side is hell. And there is no way to get from one to the other after you die. There is no way. You say, what is that, pastor? That is, uh, not only you have uh, ungodly companionship, you have unendurable pain, you have unquenchable fire, you have unbearable memory. This is an uncrossable barrier. An uncrossable barrier. He said, you are where you are, and we are where we are. And there's a great gulf fix. See, this is so contrary toward the teaching of Romanism. Roman Catholicism says you can pray somebody out of hell. You can't. No, you, you, can, you can light a billion candles, and they are still going to be there for a billion years. Listen, there is an un crossable barrier. By the way, there's really only one way to cross that chasm of sin, and that's the cross. It's why Jesus died. It's why He came. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Listen, hell is unfit for human habitation. There is an uncrossable barrier. The decision you make on earth determines your destiny of where you will dwell eternally. Once you're there, you're there forever. Ungodly companionship. Unendurable pain. Unquenchable fire. Unbearable memory. Uncrossable barrier. Verse 27 and 28, please. Then he said, after he hears that, he hears, he hears there's no going back. He says, then he said, <clears throat> I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So what happens here is the rich man is resigned to his fate. He knows he is stuck in hell, but you know what grips him? Unbelievable fear. Unbelievable fear for those that he loves. I wonder... When's the last time? We, 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 we call ourselves Christians. We believe we're saved. We've trusted Christ. As I wonder when's the last time we've wept for somebody we know that's headed for hell. I mean wept. Not just a crocodile tear because the preacher preaches on it. But I mean genuinely from our spirit. Imagine somebody that we love in this place. 
The truth is, fear is part of hell, but there is a fear of God that ought to grip us. I remember getting saved and I was 23 when I got saved, when I was presented with the gospel for the first time. I'm, I'm so envious of my children that have grown up in a church like this and heard the gospel young, but I, I realize God has purpose in saving people at different ages and different stations of life. And I remember my, the biggest burden of my life, Brother Walcott, was my dad. But my dad was an atheist. I knew where my dad was heading. And I remember witnessing to my dad. I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I can see it in the theater of my mind. I can see my parents' old house in Westfield, Massachusetts. And it was your standard raised ranch. And, and you, you walked in the front door and there was just a little bit of a platform there. And then stairs that went down to the cellar and stairs that went up. And I remember witnessing to my dad and him just brushing me off saying, oh, it's just pie in the sky, by and by. And I remember, ladies and gentlemen, getting down on my knees. And Brother Majors taking my dad's legs like this and weeping, and weeping. And I also remember after that how easy it was to get cold. Just pretty uncaring about it. Say, how can that happen? It can happen to anybody. The Bible says, because iniquity abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We live in a sinful age. By the way, we have sin too. And it cools us off, doesn't it? What is this here? We have it's unimaginable fear. He says, please don't let my family come here. Yes, I'm here. I'm stuck here. I get that now. It's too late. But I get that now. But please don't let my family come here. You know, I think there's probably more prayer in hell than there is in most churches That's pretty sad. We can do something about it. God wants us to do something about it. Listen to me. Hell is unfit for human habitation. Why? Ungodly companionship, unendurable pain, unquenchable fire, unbearable memory, uncrossable barrier, unbelievable fear. Lastly, Unending separation. You know, everyone right now in this building, everyone on this planet right now, no matter their station, is enjoying the blessings of God. Now, that doesn't mean some people aren't going through difficulties and trials and some people are going through unimaginable things, but every one of us is breathing God's air right now. Our lungs are functioning. Our brains are processing. The Bible says that death is separation. Physical death separates body and soul and spirit. Separates that. Some of you have buried loved ones. You put their body in the ground, their soul and spirit went to wherever their eternal home is. Separated that. Eternal death is the separation of the soul from all that is good in God. You see, 
We talk about, we use terms, we, we sang the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. You know what grace is? Grace is God giving us that which we don't deserve. If you're here and you've heard the gospel and you've not received it, God has graciously given you another chance. He has extended grace to you. But then there's not only grace, there's mercy. You say, what is mercy, pastor? Mercy is God withholding that which we rightly deserve. That's mercy. You know what hell is? Hell is the absence of grace, the absence of mercy. God finally pours out His wrath without mixture. You know, you read about that, Brother Jeff, in the tribulation. The Bible says that the wrath of God is poured out without mixture. This, this world thinks they want a world without God. They're going to find out that they didn't really want that. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you'll be gone, raptured, glory. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to me. Unending separation from all that is good, from all that is holy, from all that is pure, from all that is kind. There's no kindness in hell. There's no goodness in hell. It's a, a, as bad as you can think it could possibly be, it's worse. Here's what the Bible says. And death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. So here's my, my admonition to you today. Please. Please, don't go to hell. Don't go to hell. Say, who goes to hell? It's, just, it's, it's bad people that go to hell, right, Pastor? No, it's not. It's unsaved people that go to hell. That's all. There's a lot of people in hell that did a bunch of good things in their life. But they thought those good things were what earned them heaven. None of us. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. If we get what we owe, we do go to hell. But here's the thing. This is why Jesus came. This is why He was born of a virgin. This is why He lived a perfect, sinless life. And He died on an old rugged cross in our place. The wages of sin is death. And He died. And he said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't depend on your good works. Don't depend on your baptism. Don't depend on how many candles you light. Amen. Don't depend on your charity. Depend on Jesus. He'll save you from hell and give you a home in heaven. But it's up to you. I don't think I've scratched the surface as to how awful hell is. I've tried. I don't think I've scratched the surface. I, I, I don't know if we can comprehend that kind of fear and torment. As Americans, very few of us have lived in a constant state of fear. 
Think of one of the, the most awful periods of history was that, that, uh, that Nazi block during World War II where places like Bulgaria and Hungary and Romania, they just lived in a constant state of fear. We have no idea what that's like. But the moment you open your eyes after you take your last breath, if you're unsaved, that's all you'll ever know. Christian, I think it's time to get burdened again. I think it's, I think it's time to start caring again. I think it's time to start, forgive me, we talk about, we talk about uh, open range and concealed carry. It's time to get back to some open carrying. Huh? Time to get back some open carrying here. It's time for Miss Kim to say, Pastor, we are cleared out of gospel tracks and we need to order some more. It's time, it's time to write that family member that lives a few states away. Say, I just want to let you know, I haven't given up on you. I love you. I want you in heaven with me. Here's how to get there. How do we get there? We understand we're a sinner. We understand there's a payment to be made for sin. We understand that Jesus made our payment. We trust Him and Him alone. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But whosoever is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. Those are two different whosoever's, aren't there? But it really means whoever wants. Hell is unfit for human habitation. Don't go there. Trust Christ today if you haven't. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for the opportunity. The opportunity to be saved. We even think about that in our lives. We, I think about Miss Barb mentioning that there are just places in this world that they don't even have a copy of the Word of God and we have it. Not only do we have it, but somebody came to us. Somebody shared with us 